Good morning and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage is a program where we explore in depth the American experience from its beginning through the present. And today we want to talk about a little different topic, and that's the topic of founding mothers. We're very familiar with our founding fathers of American history. And in the past 10 years or so, we have now just really begun to study in depth a lot of the founding mothers that have played a significant role in American history. And we are just now really beginning to look at how significant and important a role so many of the women of America have played in our history. The term uh, founding fathers, we didn't really get to that term in our country's history until 1916. And it was Warren G. Harding who actually gave us that term founding fathers, and that was 1916. So we just correlated to now also founding mothers. And what is very interesting today as an historian is for so long in our history, we looked at history through one particular lens, and we studied the founding fathers in the American Revolution, in the Civil War, and the Industrial Revolution, and um, the era of when we were colonizing different aspects of the islands and the Caribbean and the Pacific, and then World War II and the Great Depression and the stock market crash of 1929. And now that we've gotten so far past so many of those important events, historians are now going and they're beginning to look in far more depth of different aspects of American history, whether it's African-American studies, the study of women in American history, immigrants in American history, Native Americans in American history, and also we're honestly beginning to look at many of our warts the good, the bad, and the ugly of American history, and beginning to honestly take a look at all of our American history and not just certain parts of it. So one of the things that I must caution our listeners on is that there are many historians and many writers, particularly in the last few years, who want to emphasize one aspect of American history, and that aspect is generally a negative aspect of American history. And that is something that do not allow yourselves to only look at one aspect of American history, do not allow yourself to look at one part of American history, but put it all together. We need to put it all together and look at the good, the bad, the ugly, the warts, the good of American history, and put it all together. Because if we don't, we will get a warped view of American history. And honestly, we're seeing a lot of books and a lot of teaching that give us one aspect of American history that gives us a warped view of it. And, and uh, I know many of us as historians have been very critical of the 1619 Project, critical race theory, and other things that are being taught in our schools today. And we need to honestly look at that we need to honestly see the accuracy of those teachings and how accurate they really are. And also then how much of that should we emphasize as being the only part of American history, which I'm under the firm belief that that is part of our American history, but it's not 
the only emphasis of American history. And when we only emphasize one particular point of view or one particular thought, it gives us a warpness of the American history. So with that being said, I want to look at a few of our founding mothers and, and seeing the importance of some of our founding mothers. And again, this is a continuing study of historians to see this and understand this and place so much more emphasis on the roundness of the American history, not just particular aspects of it. And obviously, if I were to ask anyone who would be one of the, if not the first founding mother, I'm sure that most people would agree that it would be Martha Washington, as George Washington was our founding, uh, the founding father, the father of our country. Martha Washington must be then, in my opinion, the founding mother of our country. And Martha Washington is a woman within the last few years where so many historians now are really beginning to take a serious look at her life and to see the importance of her life and the incredibleness of who Martha Washington was and what she was able to do throughout her life, not only as the general's wife, but also her importance throughout the American Revolution, throughout her being the first lady of America, which we didn't even use that term at the time as, as we look at our life. But uh, I would encourage all of you that if you've never seriously read anything on Martha Washington, put that in your bucket list and read about Martha Washington and read about this incredible woman and what she was able to do and what she was able to accomplish, the incredibleness of her character throughout her life, even before she married George Washington. She married Daniel Park Custis in 1750. They had four children. Only two of those children lived past five years old. Patsy and Jackie, or Jack, were the only two that lived past five years old. After seven years' marriage to Daniel Custis, Daniel died. Daniel died. And uh, when Martha became a widow, she was 26 years old with two living children after having two die in infancy. She inherited 1,700 acres of a plantation in Virginia, and Martha then picked up to manage the estate and the business interests of that plantation. After nine months of being a widow, she met George Washington, and it wasn't long before George was quite smitten with Martha, and in January of 1759, they married. So Martha was married before George Washington. Washington was not married. He was single. And after they were married, George then became the stepfather to Patsy and Jackie. Well, they moved to Mount Vernon in April of 1759. And what they did is the land that Martha had inherited from the Custis land and the land now that George Washington owned, which we now know as Mount Vernon, they combined the two plantations together. And during the revolution, Martha was the one who continued to manage Mount Vernon during the war. And she, during the time of the American Revolution, Martha 
as the manager of the plantation and the financial overseer of the plantation saw tremendous economic growth during the American Revolution when the general was away for eight years of the American Revolution. So when George Washington left for the war, he left the plantation in the hands uh, business-wise of not only a business partner, but Martha to oversee the plantation. And there was tremendous growth during the revolutionary time period. Martha also, because of the economic growth of Mount Vernon, she was able to raise a tremendous amount of money to buy soldiers' shirts and many of the other supplies for the Continental soldiers all during the eight years of the American Revolution. Martha came to all eight winter encampments of the American Revolution. The revolution was eight years total. From the time Martha traveled to a, a winter encampment, the time she spent in a winter encampment, then the time she took to travel home from a winter encampment was five years of the eight years of the American Revolution. So we, we see the importance of Martha Washington as a wife, and then also what she was able to do as influence throughout all, went off eight winter encampments. Um, and many of us say that Martha Washington was the incredible balance to George Washington. Washington himself was very uncomfortable speaking in public. Uh, he did not like to speak in public. He was fairly aloof and stoic at many times. Um, so Washington particularly did not like to give uh, public speeches, which we see very few. Washington State of the Union address were always printed out and never given like we see today in public. General Washington or President Washington didn't like to attend a lot of public events, even though he did during his presidency. Well, Martha was the one as the balance who planned so many of the public events and planned so many of the public events during Washington's presidency for the politicians and diplomats. One of the things that's very uh, interesting is for some people, if you know anything about the Martha Washington shawl, where she wore this, uh, she had a very particular shawl that she liked to wear quite a bit. And it was manufactured up in the Massachusetts area. Well, Martha greatly supported American manufacturing and believed that the manufacturing of America should be done in America. And particularly because of this shawl that was so famous because Martha wore it all the time, she had a great influence to continue to have colonists and then American citizens during the early stages of our country to buy American products, very similar to Jackie Kennedy and her pink dresses and the hat that she wore during the Kennedy presidency. So Martha's role, particularly during the winter encampments, particularly the one in Valley Forge, when Martha came to Valley Forge, she oversaw the feeding of Washington staff. Particularly, she was didn't do the cooking, but she did oversee the feeding of Washington staff at Valley Forge, and she was quite influential on other officers' wives at Valley Forge, particularly in the area of how to act, what to do, the pomp and circumstance at Valley Forge. So just the influence alone, the positive influence of 
having your wife there at a winter encampment was a great experience for General Washington during the American Revolution. And then even particularly when he was president, the influence that she continued to have politically for Washington to be able to do the job that he did as president. There was two warships named in her honor. Martha Washington in 1902 had a postage stamp that was done in her honor. And she is the only American ever depicted on a United States banknote. The $1 silver certificate was the picture of Martha Washington. So people saw throughout our history, particularly in our early history, how the importance that Martha Washington had as one of our founding mothers. Martha Washington supported immensely. Women need to be educated. And women should have a formal education in the United States. And as well as as many of our men received formal educations, Martha was absolutely convinced that the women of America also should be able to have a, a formal education. And in 1860, the Martha Washington College for Women was founded in her honor in Washington. And then later on at the, in the turn of the century, around 1918, the Martha Washington College for Women merged with Emory and Henry College at, at that point. So Martha Washington was always very amicable in public. But in private, she oftentimes complained about the restrictions that were placed on her and restrictions that were placed on other diplomats and other political figures' wives as far as how involved they should be. And so she was constantly in the background probing and probing about not only should the women of America have a formal education like so many of the men, but they should be actively involved in the politics of America, in the diplomatic situations going on in America, and also having a voice in politics and be able to hold higher office. Her love for George Washington was just a wonderful, incredible thing to not only read about, but also to see. One of her famous quotes is she wrote to General Washington one time, I retain an unalterable affection for you, which neither time or distance could ever change. Uh, uh, Just incredible. And then Washington's response back to Martha was, uh, the greater part of our happiness Her misery depends on our dispositions and not upon our circumstances. And so actually, uh, she was encouraging General Washington to the despicable conditions oftentimes during the war that the Continental Army went through. Uh, Martha was encouraging George Washington to continue to be the, the stalwart that he was. Martha particularly didn't enjoy being the president's wife and the first lady. By the time Washington became president, Martha really just wanted to be home. She wanted to be at Mount Vernon. She wanted to enjoy the fruits of Mount Vernon. And she really wanted to enjoy the the company 
of General Washington and then President Washington. So she oftentimes said, not in a negative tone, because Martha was in her 60s by this time, that she believed that first ladies or the, a president's wife should really be younger women at that point, only because of so much that she was able to do during the war as the general's wife, and then her eight years as first lady uh, being the president's wife and what she was able to do. So Martha had tremendous influence on so many different levels. After Washington's presidency, when he went back to Mount Vernon, they entertained a lot of diplomats. They had a lot of people that would come through Mount Vernon and want to talk to President Washington, want to converse with them. And it was Martha who always planned those events and planned those dinners, again, because George Washington did not particularly, was all not, not that comfortable in entertaining people constantly all the time. But it was Martha who was able to do that and keep President Washington influence going after his presidency. Another one that, that needs never to be overlooked and should not ever be looked is uh, Abigail Adams, the second first lady. Abigail Smith Adams, born in Weymouth, Massachusetts. And early in her life, even though she did not also receive a formal education, she was tremendously well-read and a very smart woman. And oftentimes, when John Adams would go on his diplomatic adventures or when he would be sent out on a diplomatic mission, Abigail would go with him. And particularly, she traveled with John Adams when he was in Paris on a diplomatic mission. And she was the soundboard for John Adams. We know comfortably that John Adams at that point was probably the most well-known lawyer and maybe the best lawyer in the colonies, John Adams was a very, very brilliant man, a very brilliant lawyer. And oftentimes, John Adams would credit Abigail Adams with when he thought something, when he had a point of view, when he needed to give a legal brief, he would oftentimes run that legal brief or run that legal argument in front of Abigail Adams. Because he said, Abigail is the one who can challenge my thought processes, and she can either rebut it or give me more evidence or more credence of possibly what I should be doing and saying and representing clients. So Abigail Adams was well suited, again, for John Adams, not only as a lawyer and a founding father, but also during his presidency. And it is well documented that Abigail Adams was well sought by and respected in her viewpoint by her husband and sought her advice intellectually, intellectual discussions, uh, political policies, and the politics that were going on early on in our country. Seneca College Research Institute, since 1982, has consistently ranked Abigail Adams as one of the top three most highly regarded first ladies, both in her personality and her intellect. Letters show John's ultimate and utmost respect for her intellect and her emotional support, as well as 
this tremendous love affair that went on between the two of them uh, all the years uh, of their marriage. And remember her famous quote that so many of us know when during the Constitutional Convention, she wrote to John Adams, I desire that you remember the ladies. All men are created equal. I desire that you remember the ladies. Another quote of Abigail, the one I love is, she wrote to John Adams, you know my mind is much occupied with the affairs of this country. If as a female, I may be called an idol, or like not doing anything, not an idol, I'm idle. I can never be an uninterested spectator in the goings on of our country and what is going on. So Abigail was very, very influential and very much astute that was going on in our country, even at the Constitutional Convention and for the four years that John Adams was president. And then even later on, when her son was the president, John Quincy Adams, Abigail Adams was an incredible writer. She wrote a tremendous amount of correspondence, about 4,300 letters of correspondence over her lifetime that she wrote to 40 different people, Thomas Jefferson, Mary Otis Warren, James and Dolly Madison, Martha Washington, uh, covering all different topics, government, politics, foreign policy, women's rights, abolition, and these major topics that Abigail Adams remained politically involved all throughout her life. And we see in their marriage how important Abigail Adams was to John Adams and how important, and we see the emphasis that John Adams placed upon Abigail Adams as his equal, as one of his mentors, understanding the politics, understanding the diplomatic side of it, understanding how strong the abolitionist movement should be. And we see often later on the influence that Abigail had on her son and John Quincy Adams' wife in pushing and helping to continue to promote the abolitionist movement early on in American history. So Martha Washington, the first founding mother, Abigail Adams, the second founding mother. And that's not in rank of importance. That's just chronologically that we see. So the founding father of George Washington oftentimes credited Martha with whatever he was able to do. And so did John Adams. John Adams was incredibly always giving much credit to his wife for not only her tremendous support, but her encouragement and her challenging oftentimes of John Adams and his points of view to solidify or to make stronger a point of view or to giving another point of view to think about. General Washington, President Washington said uh, the two greatest days of his life was the day that he met Martha and the day that he married Martha Washington. And John Adams is quoted as saying that my political career would have been nothing if it had not been for my wonderful wife, Abigail, Abigail Adams. So that's just the beginning thoughts on two of our founding mothers and tremendous influence 
that they had as founding mothers. And there are many, many books that have been written or are being written about our founding mothers. Carl Birkin has written a wonderful book called Revolutionary Mothers. Another one I would recommend is Founding Mothers by Linda DePaul. They're the two books that I highly recommend that you get and you purchase and you read to begin to have all of us have an understanding of this great importance that so many women had early on in American history. So this is the WFYL 1180 AM, Working for Your Liberty. <laughs>